morning, people of the internet. You are listening to Debbie Radio 79.5 FM, a podcast where we discuss the movie Gross Point Blank one minute at a time. I am your co-host, Hugh David, and with me today... I am Dev Sodega, and on today's show, we're going to be looking at Minute 10. Joining us, we have, once again, the wonderful Billy Holku, self-professed generic nerd. Hey, Billy. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, we're good. Nice to be back. Hey, it is great to have you back. Yeah, it's been really fun talking with you about this. This is a, We're getting some real insight into the film from different angles. Um, so, Dev, do you want to fill us in on where we are at Minute 10? So, uh, we've... Uh, just had the uh, drop of poison miss the mouth, the target of, uh, of uh, Martin Blank's target. Uh, Martin's having to reconsider and rushes to uh, finish the job with a silenced pistol. He jumps out the room, runs downstairs and takes out the target. Uh, and then we cut to fire a couple of long shots. We get back to him uh, returning to his office or from our perspective, entering his office for the first time uh, and actually coming face-to-face with his secretary, Marcella, played by the ever-wonderful Joan Cusack. Indeed. Joan Cusack fan club sitting right here. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Uh, Billy, you were saying in previous episodes that you, amongst the many uh, kinds of films you like, uh, rom-coms are on the high on the list. Would you agree with me that Joan Cusack is was, was actually wasted? Not wasted, but she's always been the best friend, hasn't she, in the rom-coms? Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, just kind of. Yeah, we, we, yeah, never actually thought about that. But yeah, she should. Um, I am. She's right now struggling. Uh, what lead, rom com lead that she's actually been? In. Yeah, I can't think of one either. But she's definitely turns up in them quite a lot as the sassy best friend. Mm. And it's kind of this is half the fun of. I can see why she took this role because it's it, she gets to be sassy without having to be the best friend. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she can just be sassy. Um, but yeah. yeah, the hit is interesting because, of course, it goes wrong. Right? And then we get to, yeah. to Joan. So, so, let, so let's talk about the hit going wrong. Why does it go wrong? Why, do the, why does the Miami job not go the way it's supposed to? And what do we think about that? I mean, do we think this makes sense? Is it logical? Is it not logical? Is it an interesting plot point? You know, or is it just... Well, hey, clearly not everything can be accounted for. I mean, I feel like there's a reason that arsenic in the the water on the night glass or on the nightstand uh, is is the preferred method of assassination <laughs> in you know so many murder mysteries, right? Like this is, as we've already discussed, right? It feels like this is quite a elaborate way of killing somebody. It's not quite. Mm stroking your white cat whilst there's a laser beam trying to slice somebody in half elaborate but it's getting there it is quite slow and admittedly the target should be asleep and it should help there but it does feel like there are better ways to carry out an execution that's meant to look like a natural death or an accident there there are other things that can be done um yeah but it does make for some great cinema i mean it also means martin's never seen you only live twice (laughs) because <laughs> if you'd seen it it didn't work so well yeah, exactly either, <laughs> you know you know clearly when he ran away from school one thing that wasn't on his list is his movies um so yeah so but, but what i think i for me the whole point of the scene is to set up him having to look his victim in the face and talk to the victim mm. i think that's mm. the whole point of it 
yeah, we get him. We get what we said last minute, where he learn. We learn about his meticulousness and his nature and all of that. But then the point is to make that go wrong and force him to have to be face to face with the victim, and then deal with that emotionally. Um, because um, he's not grosser, and he's not going to respond like grosser does. Grosser will empty every bullet he's got at the guy before the guy says another word. And Martin doesn't. It's actually far more interesting that way. Um, there's also something yeah. interesting about the whole way he has to run down the stairs. There's something sort of, I don't know, it's slightly comic, but it's also, I um, mean, 90s movies, action movies, there's a lot of guys running around stairs shooting each other quite a bit. Leon's got it. And, um, oh, what's the other film that's got it? There's quite a few that have it at the time. It feels like the teenager running to get the door when, yeah, like their friends come over or something, right? Like it, it, it's kind of enthusiastic but not very polished. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's 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 in panic, isn't he? Because uh, uh, as he says later on in in office, it, it they've done extensive sleep research. So he's <laughs> sat and watched this guy sleep for <laughs> nights on end. Uh, thinking, oh well, you know the the technology that I have um, uh, states that he's in this part of deep sleep, so he doesn't seem to have a plan B. That's a good point. You know? He doesn't, does he? No, no, because you know a plan B could be that, like you know, he doesn't actually have to shoot the guy. He's yeah. he, he's so good with a hand to hand combat, he'd easily, I don't know, disabled him at some point and then forced the poison into his mouth. Yeah, and or yeah. or back to the the point that he made, right? Like if he was really panicking. He could have just shot down from above. Yeah, there's that too. He already had that full opening and that line of sight. But I think, you know, this it, it underscores that point that you made, Hugh, that they they are trying to get Martin Blank to have a face-to-face with his target. Yeah, and, and the dialogue is incredibly spare, but very, very interesting. You know, we don't know who this guy is. We don't know what this guy's done. We have literally got no idea what why this is happening. And so... As an audience, there's an there's kind of an inevitable immediate sympathy with the guy. You know, yep. no, ain't none of us want to wake Whatever up. it is you don't like that I'm doing, I'll stop. Yeah. What a great line. What, it's not me. Yeah. what are the, the, Those two lines are just so telling, so loaded. You know, mm. they, they carry so much weight with what they are. and the, But at the same time, they sound natural enough, like the sort of thing someone would would think to say at that time. You know, and it's just and you feel for the guy. But then Martin looks not puzzled, but I don't know. He uh, the, the joke that he's Martin Blank as a name, blank by name, blank by nature, I think depends on what you think about John Cusack's acting stuff. Right? I don't know how you guys feel about it. I feel like Cusack is the master of underselling and understating stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, yeah very much so. Yeah. And I feel like there is something in his face when he says, it's not me. And I can't, like, like, I feel like there's just, I don't know what you guys think, I feel like there's just a flicker, a slight flicker of emotion. And then he says that, and you realise he's trying to say, don't blame me, not my fault. Yeah. It's nothing to do, yeah, he's saying it's nothing to do with him, it's just work, it's just a job, you know, and that's who you are, and that's how he probably separates that in when he's taking a life. Yeah. You know, which is a, which is scary. Mm. I mean, I 
which fits a certain psychological profile. It does indeed. It does indeed. And although, as he says, as he, I think he's already said at one point, or is it he's about to say the whole business of the, the moral flexibility that the Marines felt he had. I love that line. They thought I had an attitude for a certain moral flexibility. Like, hmm, what exactly does that mean? You won't blow up a Greenpeace warship, but you will shoot a guy in the face and say it's not your fault. <laughs> oh, the fine lines of morality that are defined in this film. It's amazing. Oh, so, Dev, the, the office, as you've said in previous episodes, the office that that you don't believe actually ever exists in real life, that nobody has offices yeah. like this. Right. So, I mean, before we get to that, as you mentioned earlier, you know, uh, the the hit was actually in Miami. We were having trouble last. Oh, yes. Uh, in the last minute yesterday, uh, trying to straighten out in our heads, you know, where the, the, the hit happens. And yes, it is actually called out in the script as well, that it's it's in Miami. Mm-hmm. Hence um, the colored lighting because it's Miami, post Miami Vice. Right. And and yeah, definitely an allusion to Miami Vice. Mm. Um, the. And then we get the the panning shot of L.A. to and well him driving past like alongside the airport mm. and I can't think what airport that is. I feel like there's an airport that famously has a road like that that okay. kind of goes right under the runway strip, uh, or not under the runway strip, but yeah. right at the end of the runway strip. So you often have aircraft coming in very very low over it, mm-hmm. mm. um, which I was assuming would be Miami Airport. I don't think it is though. Um, and then we're back in LA and it's clearly a shot of uh, the LA skyline and into this office that I'd still struggle to believe really exists with the wood paneled walls and the like one big reception space with the receptionist desk and then the private office. And, and here we see Martin and Marcella interacting face to face for the first time in this movie and instantly the roles are completely reversed. Mm. The sass is gone. The um, assertiveness is gone. Mm. Marcella is now very, very subservient to Martin. Mm. Do, and do, do you think they always planned it that way? Or do you think that might have been a decision on the day, given Armitage like to let them uh, play around with the script, he would shoot one take of the script as it was written, and then he would start shooting other takes, letting the actors play with different roles. I wonder if there's a version of that scene that's played the way they already were playing the roles. And then they played with it, and they said, well, what if we do it this way? I don't think there can be. Um, And the reason that I say that is there are only two two characters that really interact with Martin who know him prior to the start of this film. Okay. I mean, you could argue that the federal agents know him and, and there's the whole dialogue about meeting him previously, but really, you know, meaningful re- interactions is Marcella and uh, Grocer. Okay. You know, everybody else in the movie knew him when he was a kid, but not in his recent past. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, actually the, the psychiatrist, I've forgotten, Oatman. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you need Marcella to react the way she does mm-hmm. to give legitimacy to Martin Blank's personality okay. as being somebody who is actually legitimately scary. 
and and I think that's what that's there for. And then it's reinforced with Altman. Okay, that seems to make some sense to me. I think, Billy, what's your take on it? Um, I I think it's uh, more of um, you know the job's gone wrong, and and there's that, that awkward silence that everyone's like, okay, well, and I, now I have to speak to you about this face to face, you know. Um, how am I going to approach it? That's why she's all, always kind of. Um, well, when she approaches them, I think it was behind the door, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, she's yeah. So it's like, oh, so what? What do we do? So, oh no, they want to make amends, you know. Right. So, so there is that. Do you? Would you? So, do, do you think maybe it feels a little bit like she's had him blow up at her before? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, you also got to remember as well. It's like um, you know, he's a hitman. He could, you know, he doesn't know what he how he's going to react. Yeah. So he could he could either have a violent outburst or just have this weird, awkward silence. Yeah, as to what they're going to say. Do I mean it? It is interesting. I mean, I I remember a few years ago there was a one of my first years at this school I'm teaching at now, and there was a point where some kid did a drive-by pizza throw into a classroom, not knowing that they not knowing. Yeah, I know it's quite a thing to do to run past the classroom <laughs> and fling a pizza into. It. Anyway, he didn't know that the teacher in question was in the room with these kids wow. it was rainy break and um this was the other end of the building corridor in the building i, I was in and i i suddenly heard this vol you know the, sh- the sheer loudness of this voice having a go at this kid and i stepped out to have a look everybody stepped out to have a look at the corridor and see what was going on and the, the teacher in question is ex-military right okay. he's a for- former captain in the <laughs> army and very well dressed man and he's standing there hands in his waistcoat in his jacket pockets standing there still just looking at this kid but the volume that's coming out of his mouth at this kid and i was like that's really scary and I, I said to somebody else in my department i said oh, that's really scary i've never heard him lose his temper like that and, the, and the, one of my, and my colleagues said to me well it's a lot worse when you realize that this man has killed people for real <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Oh yes, that makes it so much worse." And that's what I'm reminded of in this scene. You know, Marcel is kind of like, yeah. "Yeah, this is I. I this man kills people for a living. I need to be really careful about how I work around yeah. him." Um, but she obviously yeah. it's taken to a comedic extreme. But yeah, I think you're spot on with mm. that, Billy. I feel like she. Yeah, you don't know if he's going to lose it or not because he he kicks the door when she starts reading out the. The, the the letter on the phone to him again, you know, he kicks the car door yeah. and he's, you know, and he does say you're fired when she's still reading the letter. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think I think all of that is 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 built into her behaviour. I think in addition to what you're saying, Dev, I feel like there's all the other layers are they all count as well towards that. I think um, it's very intriguing moment. And then of course, as we mentioned in a previous episode, there is the jacket. I mean, we can't. We're talking about jones fashions and the character's fashions and what uh, she's wearing. but that jacket <laughs> yeah and i and i love the fact that he calls it out yeah. it's not this minute it's the next minute yeah but, um it is yeah it's it's quite the fashion statement for sure yeah i'm wondering what was the uh decision making behind that yeah you know yeah i me too yeah. it, it i mean uh, i could easily think that um joan cusack saw that top saw that dress I mean, I'm going to wear that, mm. you know, mm. despite what everyone's going to say. And then yeah. John Cusack just clearly calling it out, you know, as an ad lib. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it does it, sound yeah. like an ad lib, yeah. doesn't it? 
Um, yeah. I'm trying to see if I can find anything that uh, indicates, you know, because this is we've already done loads of research before recording this, and and yet there are still things we cannot find uh, a clear thing. It's one of those. It's one of the reasons why this film needs a good special edition is because somebody needs to just go out there and do the research and find mm, out all yeah. the things that we don't know about. Because if all the attention yeah. it has had over the years, it's never had the degree of attention that a film that is this dense with ideas deserves. Um, and so I would be really interested in finding out. But the other is I'm, I'm struggling to remember, because it's 1997, so Britpop is in full swing, and British Cool is back okay. in a big way in the media. Um, and obviously there was a lot of Beatles reference going on at the time, precisely because of Britpop. Um, I mean, yeah. I think it was, I think, was it Rolling Stone or New York Times described Oasis as, you know, what the Beatles might have looked like if they'd lived to this era kind of thing, which I think was overselling it. But, you know, you yeah. get. And yet, there is no Oasis, there is no Blur, there's no modern Britpop in, in the soundtrack here. That's a good point. Oh, and and I think that very good may point. have some sort of eight... Joe Strummer influences in in that decision because I can't imagine that he was particularly enamored with that era, that music. Yet and yet you have the Eels in the Hippo Club, right? Well, Which that's is... the thing: the the American side of the music in the albums is very yeah. much more up to date. Yeah, but it's still very eighties. 90s well well, yeah. well, well I mean, yeah, the Eels is 90s, yeah the Eels is 90s yeah. but Violent Femmes are 80s into 90s Madonna's 80s into 90s it's that weird thing where the film yeah. we're talking about artists who are still around but yeah it is odd like and yeah it's, it's, but I, I feel like I feel like I'm sure somewhere in the 80s and 90s I feel like I've seen Prince wear a jacket like that I feel like I've seen Madonna wear a jacket like that you know I feel like somebody must have worn a jacket like like, like it's not the most outlandish thing no. But it's just the fact that she chooses to wear it to work. <laughs> yeah. Like, I wouldn't wear that to work. <laughs> right. And and also, like, it's definitely a day she's expecting him in the office, right? Yeah. Like, it's it's not like it's a, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to dress up because I feel like it, but yeah. nobody's going to be there, so it doesn't really matter kind of a day. It's just, yeah. But then the, the fact that we can have that conversation, right, shows you how well they layer in their characters because we are talking about them like they exist, like they have a life before this scene and a life after this scene that's real, that they, yeah. do you know what I mean? The office dynamics. Yeah, are, absolutely. It's amazing yeah. how effectively they convey that just yeah. through the way they stand, the postures, the gestures, as well as the dialogue. Um, you know, I, the, 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 there's something about the way he goes to his desk and checks on everything that is very him. Yeah. But I also know that it also reminds me of me when I had, you worked in offices, you know, and did that sort of thing. It's kind of very... I'm, I'm wondering how many times he actually goes back to that office mm. as well. If he's like a travelling hitman with a fax machine in his car. That's a good point. You know? Yeah, and and I think that is a, a an element of this, is that I feel like his presence in the office is rare. I suspect that even when he's not on a job, he probably doesn't come into the office all that often. And I think the main reason that he does this time around is to get um, Marcella to look after his cat. And that's really the, the primary reason. Mm. <laughs> Everything else could have been handled over the phone, but he felt mm. like he needed to go in to ask her to take care of the cat whilst he's out. Although, I don't know if that holds together because I don't think he's actually made that decision 
or maybe to um, kind of, or maybe trying to get a, a better grip as to what went wrong. Yes, or what's going to happen? That's a good point as well, because there is that yeah. issue as well. I mean, he kind of knows that he's at some point he's got to face up to the fact that we've got to talk about how it went wrong and why. Because she's the one dealing yeah. with the clients. She's the one who'll be getting the earful. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, so, yeah, that is definitely uh, a point of interest in how they... That, I mean, and that comes back to something you said, Billy, in an earlier episode, when we were just... The idea of whether or not they had... Um, whether or not there was an implied familial relationship in the through the casting of brother and sister. Mm, yeah. Um, and it kind of comes back to that idea, doesn't it, of 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 how much uh, how they've put together these characters and the way it works between them, and this whole notion of um, as we as you were saying, Dev, you know, she's she's the she, in some ways she because she's she has to do all the support work. She's kind of the senior one in the relationship because without her, he doesn't function. But te- but he's still the figurehead of the the job. He's the key person out there doing things, yep. and so. When something goes wrong, yeah, they're going to have to talk about it. It can't be something that can just yeah. be put to bed. He can't rely on her, yeah. even if he wants she, to. Just... Yeah, she she is his support, and that's what he's possibly seeking, but not outwardly saying so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one thing I'm just noticing now is that he doesn't even have a computer in at his desk. She's the one with the computer. She's the one that actually clearly does all of the you know everything right yeah presumably the finance management the ordering the yeah booking yeah the she's all of calendar those. like everything is is on her yeah that makes sense um and again probably not an office he spends very much time in he kind of is almost playing with with parts of the offices if he doesn't really yeah like, hasn't really interacted with them before yeah yeah, he kind, of, he kind of pokes at that painting wondering if it's what is that new is old <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you do wonder when was the last time he was in there, right? <laughs> yeah. um, right, I think that's probably as much as we're going to get, Dev. I think that's a good stopping point for Minute 10. Absolutely. Uh, this was Minute 10 of the Gross Point Blank podcast, Debbie Radio 79.5 FM, featuring your hosts, co-writers and co-producers, myself, Dev Sodiger, and Hugh David. Today's guest was Billy Holku, self-professed generic nerd. Billy, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me uh, and my uh, glorious pictures of food and dim sum at dim sum discussions on Instagram. Fantastic. Thank you. And you can find us at all good podcast players, as well as on YouTube, X and Spotify with the handle at Debbie Radio, D-E-B-I Radio, and also on our website, DebbieRadio.com. And for all of those, it is indeed, once again, D-E-B-I Radio. We'll be back next week with the next five minutes of this podcast. And in the meantime, or at any time, if you want to talk with us, You can join our Facebook listeners group, Debbie Radio 79.5 FM Fan Club. That's Debbie Radio 79.5 FM Fan Club, uh, where we talk about this movie, other movies, movies in general, and movie making. Sure was clear that all of this was new. Concentrating hard like a little girl, smoking for the first time. It wasn't a moment 
It was a free